0: uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and friends beyond the binary it's time for the podcaster who uh I, like uh, i slather on this so it's time to slather on some sleepy stuff maybe that just popped into my head though uh like maybe slather on some syrupy sleepy stuff uh, the patrons because you helped me do it thanks uh, and let's get on with the show Hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it as a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside... Whatever is keeping you awake whether it's uh, thoughts uh, you know stuff on your mind you're thinking about feelings you know, either emotional or physical like a, that's coming up for you Physi- oh yeah feelings physical sensations yeah, changes uh, life events uh, those are things that uh, you know I hear from people you know anything whatever's keeping you awake. Uh, I'd like to take your mind off of that. I'd like to keep you company. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night. And kind of to, as a call or, yes, yeah, a, like a y'all call, they say, hey, this is a safe place. So why don't you come on in? I'm going to send my voice across the deep dark night to try to say that and then do it with my hands. I don't know if you could really sense that, but I'm saying, hey, come on in, safe place here. It's more of a safe general area, because you say safe place sounds like uh, I'd have to check it out first. A a safe area. You say, well, it's like, uh, it's not, I don't know, it's not as, right, maybe, I don't know. I'd I'd like to have something more catchy than that, but I don't have anything. But I'm going to use a lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones. Uh, Creaky indulged it Uh, tones that are both sweet and not sweet but not sour not umami or whatever that other word is probably i guess creaky has a touch of salty what is it sweet sweet sour salt uh, bitter not really bitter oh sour and bitter are the same some part my citrus brain just said by the way i'd say are you sure about that and then the other um, 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 umami, uh, or how you know, I, I always get that one wrong, even though I love it. Holy cow, I love uh, miso paste, man! If I talked about miso paste in the intro, I probably have because uh, talk about a versatile thing. It's not a condiment, uh, it, but anyway, I, got, I don't want to. Go, I got new listeners here. Sorry about that. Uh, so, uh, oh, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, which you just, uh, kind of, that was more of a, not a pointless meander word, word fumbles, uh, Billy. Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a word. F- those are letter fumbles. Like, t- actually I, I fumble words and I tumble into letters. Uh, he says, where's scoots? Is is that a, a ball pit? No. Is that a foam block pit? No. Scoots is in a, le- he's in a pit of his letters, uh. Well, that sounds like sleep with me. Yeah, you he tumble, you tumbled right in there, but he's doing his best. Uh, so, if you're new, let me catch up here. I'm glad you're here. And a couple of things. This podcast sounds a little bit different, already, huh? Well, if you're having any issues getting to sleep, uh, I'm here to keep you company and take your mind off stuff. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, shows a little bit different. It's a little bit silly, and it's it's a bit of like a odd or, or i mean in a good way for some people so it doesn't work for everybody so give it a few tries if you like no pressure to even do that uh, but uh, that's what most reviewers say and regular listeners say oh it took two or three tries uh, but there's no pressure to like to show uh, just see how it goes because if you're skeptical that makes total sense Or you're like what is this uh the guy doesn't even know the five, didn't he, didn't they teach that in like a, not in kindergarten, but in some other grade? Didn't you have to fill out like a thing where you colored in the circles on the tongue? And maybe you even did an experiment, you know, where you tasted some sugar and salt and uh, citrus. You know, Scoots went to school before they discovered the umami zone. Also, that's a movie I'm working on, in a song. Except that Kenny Loggins already told me I can't use a, you know, like, a, and I he said, what is a, because I sent him a letter. He said, what does a highway to an umami zone even mean? And I said, well, let's go. That's our show. Drew Scooter and Kenny Loggins uh, on the road. It's a new Food Network show, Kenny. Highway to the Umami Zone also let me let's just lock that title down so you know fieri or whoever else uh, doesn't listen to this podcast uh i think that could be a show it'd be just like all the other ones uh it w- wouldn't be really any different i would say get me and kenny Log you know maybe have kenny Loggins and then a little bit more uh diversity of a cast so keep scoots out of it uh Maybe Danica Patrick could, because then it would make. And then uh, I don't know. We, we'll figure it out. But uh, I mean, just seeing Danica Patrick and uh, Kenny. Who is it? Kenny Loggins. A lot of people are, don't even know who Kenny Loggins is, which is totally understandable. But because in the the driving thing, and yeah, he could. Maybe we could get the rights, and that would be the thing. Highway to the Umami Zone. Sorry, I don't normally sing, but it's early in the show so where was i oh new listener sorry i got that was a totally pointless meander so if you're new and skeptical there you go you you just your skepticism has been met like and respected so it shows it to be a bit, diff, bit different here's what to expect uh, other than nonsense and me goofing around and not getting to the point which is what every episode's like just a heads up uh so structurally what to expect, which we're kind of in the middle of the structure, the show starts off with a few minutes of business, and it's really key to keeping it free for everybody uh, just because of the size of the podcast. Then there's an intro, and I'll tell about the intro in a minute. Then there's some business. Then there's the story. Tonight we'll be talking about uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, but not really. that's not really important. It'll be more like a bedtime story. Or Scoots is just rambling about stuff. Uh, then we have some thank yous and good nights. Uh, so the intro is the beginning of the show. It's usually around 12 to 15 minutes long. Now, some people will skip ahead. But, you know, I look at the statistics. The majority of people listen. And, like Some people fall asleep during the intro. Uh, some people get ready for bed during the intro. And some people are in bed winding down during the intro. And then some people listen during the day. And, uh, so the intro, the reason it's like 12 to 15 minutes is to give you a chance to wind down or to get, you know, brush your teeth, uh, you know, put on your PJs, do, do, do like think about uh, Kenny Loggins and Danica Patrick driving and tasting food. I'm already getting pitched by another part of my brain on getting Kenny G on there and send, and he said, well, let's just look like, let's like, look wider than that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but because that's, but that's not a terrible idea. I, I'm not, I'm just saying, anyway, I gotta get back to the new listener. So the intro is just a, it's a show within a show, but it's also part of the podcast. I don't know when this is like the most thing, the hardest thing for the new, newest listener. That's why I'm, I talk about the intro so much is because when you're new and you're like, it's, it's definitely subverting any expectations because like most people expect even a sleep podcast to intro to get to the point and get to the bedtime story and i can I get like some people that are frustrated with that or they say what well, is this a big infomercial and i say well this one kind of is if you run the food network or a network that carries food tv shows it it, it is an infomercial for you uh, food network executives or representatives of uh Kenny G, Kenny Loggins, Danica Patrick, or any you know any purveyors of umami based foods on a highway, uh, because yeah, we'll be doing that show one day, and at least in my imagination, I'll be like I would be the driver. Right? Like they could just because I'm not really good at getting to the point anyway. Like I wouldn't actually be a host on the show, but I would be there. And then they like, so I'd be like a sidekick, like whatever's less than a sidekick, not in a good way where they'd say in scoots, what did you think about the, uh, crab apple fries? And I, maybe I'd have like a punchline like, Ooh, mommy, Uh, that would be a little cheesy, but, uh, maybe that would be my catch line. Uh. I guess that's a, like a little bit. Let's okay. Let's not get too Freudian or anything. Holy mackerel. Like, that's this is a food show. Um, so anyway, went off topic there again. So that's the intro, just me kind of welcoming you into the show and helping you wind down with some nonsense that's feels feels uh, new and familiar at the same time. Because every intro is like this where I say, uh, this is really how the intro is structured. If I had a, like a chess, what is that called? Like a flow board or whatever, a pitch deck, I'd say, okay, the intro is going to be two minutes today. I'm going to get there. Welcome the new listeners. Structure the show. Tell them they don't need to listen, uh, because it, like they could kind of passively listen or they could actively listen. Uh, then tell them there's no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here for about an hour. So if you can't sleep, I'm here to the very end. And then I will close out the intro, and it'll be two minutes long. But then I get distracted, or you know, I, I mean, how how could you not get distracted by that idea? I mean, by probably by the time, it also, like, I'm serious. Like when I went to school, they didn't have umami. It had, I mean, it probably had been invented. It just hadn't made it to like a. Even though I didn't grow up in the Midwest, my city—the city I grew up in—was very Midwestern-esque, and they—they they may still scoff at the—you know—they there may be like a neighborhood. Well, you got to go to the uh, the places that serve cuisine if you want umami. Anyway, like uh, so, we just like we we just had those other regions of the tongue where we said those are the flavors that humans can process, and I would still say. I don't buy it. I'd say, hey, teacher, I don't buy this. Your teacher would say, well, this is science. I'd say, what, is there a tongue scientist, actually? Dr. Tongue. I mean, there was Dr. Teeth in one of the Muppet bands, uh, but I don't necessarily, I mean, I guess there are tongue doctors. Nose, mouth, yeah, no, there's no tongue on that one. Isn't it one of the longer organs in the body after the skin? And the teacher would always say something about their ears. in my mouth, they'd say, well, maybe you'll understand it better if you close your mouth, uh, Andrew. And I'd say, well, and then they would say, hey, excuse me, teacher. I just wondered, when is the report due on careers? Because I've I decided to change my career to be a doctor of tong- tongue researcher. That's why I'm pulling my tongue out right now while I'm talking to you because I want to really— uh, I believe there's, like, a, not four flavors on the tongue. And they say, Scoots, how did you come up with this sleep podcast? And I said, well, haven't you read my autobiography? The Only Boy in Town Who Believed in Umami? That was a, one my first book uh, that never was published and never written. It started out, I was alone in my room, alone with my tongue. Not, like, uh, just thinking. About what we had learned at school today, wondering the nature of truth and the nature of flavors. And uh, I suspected there was so much more uh, to all of these things. Uh, I looked at the ceiling and I sighed. Then I rolled over. So even then, I, was, I had the potential to put people to sleep. Uh, and then I looked at my tongue in the mirror uh, for hours and hours, uh, wondering. Is That All You Are? And, and actually, also coming in musical form uh, one day, uh, the, whatever that, that was a pretty long title. So, like, The Boy Who Loved, no. I mean, it has to be, like, uh, yeah, I was a kid in a town that didn't believe in umami. Uh, and I wanted to make a show. It, you know, I, At first, I said I was going to be a tongue doctor. and You could even make a show I called The Tongue Doctor. And that would umami almost rhymes with the rest of that song too. Anyway, okay. Anyway, I'm here to help you if you can't sleep. That's my main message. uh, Because I care. I've been there, sleepless in the deep dark night, tossing and turning. And I just want to take your mind off stuff and keep you company as you drift off. Or in case you can't, I'm here to keep you company the whole night long if you need it. And I mean, there is some subtext in this podcast because, you know, I, I have been that boy lying in bed, uh, thinking I'm the only one who believes in umami, wondering if that's how you pronounce it and singing songs about it to myself, quietly loud enough. So my brother would tell me to be quiet, but still, you know, you know, just, just sing making up my own musicals about those things, uh, and my brother, just like uh, the listeners that are going to just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com slash no, thank you. Say, how many times can you say "umami" in a podcast? Also, FYI, the word is uh, whatever the proper word is. I uh, say, oh boy, yep, uh, this happened to me like 180 episodes ago too. So I, I don't know if you can catch the good-hearted nature of this podcast, uh, it, the fact that it doesn't work for everybody kind of means that hopefully it works for you. You know what I'm saying? And if it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. Like I said, go to com slash no thank you. There's some other stuff over there you could check out. But I really hope it does. Or just use it before bed to kind of loosen things up. Because my main goal isn't just to put you to sleep. It's so that bedtime... It doesn't feel like that, where you have to write a musical to 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 help learn to coexist with a town that doesn't believe in a flavor pro, you know, flavor profiles or whatever. Oh wait, some other part of my brain said there's a book, sugar, salt, fat. That, that those are the old, oh boy, well, uh, there goes uh, there goes <laughs> there goes uh, to to twenty eight years of tongue research right out the window. Hey, I don't know. I hope you know that I'm glad you're here. And while the podcast doesn't work for everybody, give it a few tries and see if it can help you. Uh, I work very hard at yearn and I strive, uh, and I want to help you fall asleep. And here's a couple of ways we're able to keep this show free for everybody. All right, everybody, we're continuing our, uh, like, uh, wharf kind of themed episodes here. Uh, or, um, yeah, I guess I'd say wharf strongly with a, str- give me a strong side of wharf. Or, you know, I take my Klingons strong, you know, I I prefer my wharf. Uh, Anyway, couldn't think any good jokes there. Also, I don't want to, you know, get into the the Klingons' bad side. Uh, So this episode is uh, Season 4, Episode 7, I don't know if I said that, Reunion. And it starts off at the bridge, everybody's working. I'll go through the dialogue, but I said, "Is there class two, three, and four probes?" Which will be answered. Uh, we see a Klingon ship. Oh, you know what? I just noticed something. Uh, this one of the first few shots in the show is shot from a really low angle. You never pay attention to that stuff except for close-ups. Uh, right now, I'm looking at the Enterprise. Uh, Camera zooming in on it, or the Enterprise is moving. And yeah, now we have uh, Riker, Picard, and. Uh, wharf and it was almost shot from the floor looking up at them which I guess puts him in a place of authority Klingon ship is it appears this is more gray than a normal gray and red and the green it really do find it, this is a strange thing to say but I find the green of Klingon ships very comforting uh, so this one uh, the gray one I just said huh, I miss that green I don't know what it is I just say oh, that's a relaxing color for me uh, let's see. Chan- open channel. They get a Klingon ship. That was on it. We know. We'll go through the dialogue. Unexpected pleasure. Worf capitalized uh, with an exclamation point. A nod. Urgent matter. Uh, Lieutenant, go and receive our guest. Uh, Worf tries to get out of it. This is a really good Worf episode. Uh, uh, Worf makes up an excuse, which you know we'll find out isn't. Uh, he says, my dis- dishonor will offend, because uh, it's another Klingon. And Picard is stern, goes to transport to room two. Uh, Worf does a what? Uh, first, I don't know, let me see. Like Worf does a what? Uh, then there's a zoom on Worf Thoughtful. And as we see it, because like, like, uh, they say two to transport, Worf does a what? not transport number two. And it's a kid, which we've met before, Alexander, which makes Worf even do, his Worf's mouth is wide open. And I think that's it. I think it opens after that. Let's see. Let's see. Where are they? Gamma, a Regulon system or something. Uh, Some anomalies are there. Readings inconclusive. Uh, They send out two class one probes. Uh, Klingon appears, uh, what is that doing there, Everybody says, let's talk to them, uh, and I think I, I, I got to figure out the, uh, I did a phonetic spelling of uh, uh, this person, oh, Kalar, uh, is uh, Ambassador Kalar, who's the Unexpected Pleasure. Good to see you again, Picard and Worf. She says, uh, "Maybe I don't know if she's appeared on another episode." I have this is my first uh, Klar experience. Uh, she's got an urgent matter, wants to come aboard. Yeah, Picard sends Worf, who says, "You know, no, Worf's uncomfortable." Uh, then transports in with the kid, and the episode opens right. Excuses, Data. What is that? Oh, this is after the open. Uh, my handwriting here is uh, Chad R. Touch uh, on cloak. Bye bye, mommy. Uh, Wharf arms crossed, glove signed, walks away. Alexander plays. Uh, elevator awkward. Some cherish. Uh, can't make eye contact. Wharf well, can't make eye contact. Oh boy. Uh, does this go deep? Uh, Worf won't ask uh, and walks off the elevator. Uh, she is in KLR. Uh, waits behind. Then we have a meeting with staff. Uh, excuses, data question mark. Okay, let's see if we could decode that. though. bye, bye, mommy. We understand that. Ch- Chad, our touch and closed. Uh, I don't know what that says. Uh, honestly. They thought it was like child care. Oh, child care. Touch and close. Okay, so child, I, ch- that's child care. Yeah, but Alexander gets dropped off at the kind of ch- child care. Yeah, oh, he hasn't had much contact with other children. I don't know what that what my hand is, But he says, bye-bye, Mommy. And Worf waits, arms crossed, uh, and glares. And we learn right away, Kayla says, hey, Worf, how about a little kiss on a cheeky poo? He goes, you haven't, don't you know I've been dishonored? And she goes, so what, are you going uh, gonna to not give me the time of day? And Worf goes, well, I, ex- I ex- uh, respect our traditions, don't you? And she says, I thought you wanted to, to, to uh, like to talk to me maybe, maybe about something small and uh, childlike. Uh, and then Worf, uh, very, this is very, uh, like, 90s, 80s, he says, must I ask you the question? And I feel bad for Kaylor, because, you know, she's, like, in a position where she's, you know, crushing the patriarchy. And Worf's kind of, uh, I don't know, but he says, must I ask? You? She goes, yes, you must. Uh, and he just walks away. And she goes, what should I tell Alexander that he about his father? Okay, I don't know what this excuses data is, but they like, uh, uh, what's behind? Then there's a meeting, a staff meeting. This has been coming. Kempek uh, could keep the peace. Uh, he wants to meet with you, Picard, alone. It's about time, Picard. I think Kempek says that. Then he says, sit down. And they go oh, the old Klingon dark reddish room, K- Kalar or no uh, Kenpex out of D- D- Barath Bar- talks about viridium Six or something. He's a bit like King Robert Baratheon, really. Uh, I said, "Well, is this Robert Baratheon based on this dude?" He wants. Uh, oh, I didn't look this up, but he wants Ricard to uh, arbitrate. Uh, first, he says arbitrate. Uh, but then later, Picard says, uh, me, simple medi- this isn't simple mediation. I said, yeah, those are two different things, Jean-Luc. And he said, Scoots, stay in your wheelhouse, buddy. And I said, sure. And then he says, I have my reasons. Uh, you can't be serious, which reminds me of the routine on the movie Airplane. You can't be serious. Don't call me Shirley. Surely. Uh, on the contrary, I decline. Don't insult me, yo. That's what Kempex says. Uh, by the way, I already sent out the order, so you're doing it anyway. You know, Picard says WTF. Uh, Kempex says, sorry, bra. And he says, this isn't a simple mediation. You're actually asking me to choose the next leader. And uh, something about fight for the right to succession. I want you, oh, no. He says, is this my job is to pick the new leader? Because no, no, no. He goes, I got Robert Baratheon, and I want you to figure out if it's Gowron or Duras doing it. He goes, because what was it, Lord Baelish or somebody else that did it back in the day? And I go, I don't remember. And then Picard says, Duras, that like rich kid, uh, punk? And he goes, yep. Uh, he goes, interesting. And he says, you could say that very well. I accept. And they cheers. And it goes to commercial. I believe, yeah. First, when the KLR meeting, she says, yeah, we got trouble, uh, you know, with on politics. Uh, and, yeah, then they have the KLR meeting, or the Kempec meeting. Sorry, KLR. Uh, so then we go to c- c- commercial. Uh, then we get a captain's log supplemental. KEMPAC's, uh, you know, gone to the big, uh, he's joined King Robert, wherever King Robert may be. We're waiting for Duras and Gowron, who both want to be leader of the High Council. Okay. Uh, Oh, 1140, there's a great zoom on a Klingon ship. Really cool. Uh, We go back to the playroom. They're playing some sort of competitive block-building game, which they said, I thought this was an advanced society. Why are they playing a competitive block-building game? And Alexander's not happy that he didn't win. Worf shows up it like, uh, tells him he must earn uh, uh, victory. And then they're walking all Very cute scene. Or I guess touching. This was less cute, but uh, I guess it was super cute. But also he's, he did walking. And Alexander goes, where are the other Klingons? Uh, Worf goes, there aren't any. Just like a kid, he says, Why not? Worf goes, Federation and Klingons haven't got along. You know, now they're just starting to. So no other Klingons have wanted to join Starfleet. And Alexander says, Why? And Worf goes, Don't ask so many questions. Uh, if you want to be like, you know, your stereotypical Klingon, he goes, I don't, by the way, Dad. He doesn't say Dad. He doesn't know it yet. Or does he? Uh, then they go to mom's room, Kayla's room. Uh, she sends, she goes, Hey, why don't you go in the room and play with your toys? Uh, mom and Worf got things to talk about. Um, if you hear any snarling, it's the kind of, it's a, like romantic kind. And Worf's all bent out of shape, uh, about the kid. She says he'll find his own ways, uh. Uh, You know, why you you can't make him be Klingon? He's also, she's half human. And then she goes back to this whole oath thing. She goes, what do you, uh, she goes, like, she goes, you won't even, you know, acknowledge that he's your son right now. And he goes, why'd you keep it secret? Because she goes, you're so stubborn. I knew, you know, your style. And he goes, well, I'm like a disgraced Klingon. so." No, that's not great, uh, and she goes, well, what happened with that anyway, and he goes, well, they said my dad was in with the Romulans, and she goes, yeah, I heard that, uh, and that you challenged it, and he goes, yeah, well, I, I, I pulled my challenge, uh, and she goes, you don't give up, though, and, uh, he goes, so, she goes, what really happened, and then they're saved by Riker Bell, because Riker goes, Kalar, Worf, uh, one, are you two hanging, in? uh, to get to the bridge, uh, let's see. Wharf uh, still covers things up. Yeah, she can't believe it's saved by the Riker Bell. Other ships pull up of Warren and Boruk Bar- or something, or the ships. Uh, they say, "Let's get this over, Picard." Blah 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 blah. Oh, that's when uh, Duras calls, and Picard goes, "We'll be there about an hour." He goes, "What's with this delay?" And Picard, you know, owns it. He goes, it's the time, I'm in charge, and it's a time I've chosen. And, by the way, I'm in charge, uh, so. And then Doris goes, one hour, don't be late. Uh, and then Picard turns off the TV, he goes, uh, and he goes, Worf's not welcome either, on a Klingon ship. And then Picard goes to Kaelor. he goes, yeah, we'll, we'll be, he goes, meet me in about an hour to leave. Uh, he goes, we'll be a little late, uh, yeah, then he pulls uh, Worf aside. He says, Jeez, I'm aware of your discomfort. Worf goes, permission to speak freely, which he doesn't totally do. He just says, Duras is a punk. Uh, Picard goes, you're making it personal. He goes, no, it's not personal. He's a punk. Uh, and Picard goes, I know that, but I follow the rules. Uh, you can't." Uh, he goes, maybe his dad was, you know, he goes, I got to give him a chance. And then Picard goes. By the way, this isn't really about what you think it is. It's uh, a Kempek guy, uh, Barathe and uh, and so Worf's stunned. Then he's kind of stumped, uh, and he goes about Duras. He goes, "I know his heart is not cooling on." Uh, then we're on uh, Kempek's ship, and we get to see this interesting ceremony where everybody checks on the the Kempek's gone to the big. Uh, uh, whatever, uh, uh, bird, bird of a W.A.R. in the sky. They talk about the Sonshi ceremony. And Duras is like, uh, let's get going here, man. Right a succession. And he goes, you know who's going for it? And Picard goes, yeah, we'll see. We'll follow all the rules. Uh, and Gauron goes, what do you know of Klingon law, human? And Picard goes, "Well, I'm going to go back to the Enterprise." And Garrus Gareth- goes, "No, now." Uh, then there's like a, like a, one of the computer stops working properly, uh, which causes a bit of a thing because it was like uh, someone downloaded something they weren't supposed to. Uh, we will proceed. No fishing it here. Poof, uh, when the computer goes, I uh, don't know. Not finishing it here. And then Peter goes, poof. Uh, then we go back to Worf. He shows up at a Kalar's room. He goes, I'm here on my duty as head of security checking on you. And she goes, oh, just your official concern? He goes, you know my feelings. And she goes, why don't you, uh, you know, to fill me in? And uh, she goes, said, I wanted to tell you, but, you know, but I wasn't ready. And uh, she goes, well, you said you'd never be complete without me. But she goes, she goes, I realized, uh, it took me some time to realize I needed you, too. So Worf has a little heartache. I didn't even realize that. She goes, you're a part of me, Worf. uh And uh, they, let's see, you're a part of me, Worf. uh. And then, you know, they kind of share a moment. Uh, and then she says, if you can't be his father, at least be his friend, which I really liked that line. But, I mean, mostly it's talking about, well, what, what about him? Is he going to, I got to keep you away from my dishonor. Uh, then we're in the ready room. And, uh, oh, this is really good. Picard's like always, uh, this is a really good scene with Kalar and Picard. I really like uh, how she uses her body language. Um, like, she's just so chill, but she really uses the space. um I like how any actor playing a Klingon, whoever was like coaching, like directing them or coaching them, or just naturally like, uh, I don't know. If you pay attention, at least, uh, maybe I just, maybe I'm projecting. Uh, be his friend, meeting with Picard, see she's so chill of oh, this modern right. He can't, because he, Picard's figuring out any angle he can do to buy time. I mean, really, Jean Luc, uh, he goes, well, what about modern, right? He goes, what about an old school, right? And she goes, oh, gosh, gosh, darn, it's like so long and dull and boring. And Picard goes, long, dull, and boring, huh? Uh, I like I like that. I said, well, Jean-Luc, uh, you could listen to me. I mean, for buying time, he says, Scoots, not for sleeping. She goes, yeah, you're in charge, so you could use the old boring way if you want. Uh. And then she goes, permission to speak freely. Uh, what's going on with Worf's discommendation? You were with him. And Picard goes, can't talk about it, bye. Uh, then they roll into the meeting room. Ja Duke is, obs- oh, Picard says, yeah, we're going to use the old school Jaduc, uh, or Duke uh, thing. They say, well, that's obsolete. Uh, and uh, Picard sits down and pulls his shirt uh, while they have reaction shots. uh because yeah, he goes, "That's the way it is going to be—long uh, uh, and boring." You got to make your case. Uh, and Kalar's there with him. They say it's going to take hours, and she goes, "It could take days, you know, if uh, depending on how cooperative you are." Uh, then. We have uh, Jaduk oh Alexander, and uh, Worf in his room, and Wharf showing him his flatware collection of all things, uh, and he says, "No, no, 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 no. Part of your... Oh, he goes when you... He goes when you use... He goes when you use this flatware. Uh, consider a part of your hand or your arm. Uh, he goes not just a, a tool you're using." Because Worf's big into that. It's just one of his many secrets. Uh, and then, let's see. It was just an interesting father-son moment, you know. I will speak with you alone. Why? What happened? so, oh, Kalar and, uh, I think this is Kalar and Gowron. He goes, what's going to take so long? uh And she goes, what card's taking so long? He goes, yeah, but you're his advisor. Quick, pick up the pace. Uh, You could get a good job in the high council or something, not just be an ambassador, which is, like, at least in the U.S., what everybody wants to do. few rewards a little glory. Don't you want some glory, like on the head council? She goes, you talk like a Ferengi. Just wait and see how it goes. Uh, And he goes, Kalar talked like that. And she goes, Kalar, or Kempak talked like that. And she goes, uh, Kempak was old and weak. I am not, Uh, which I loved. Uh, Then we have Geordi, Data, and Riker working on it. Uh, And they make this Romulan connection. Uh, Impossible. Wait, where's this? Uh, Pick up the pace in the Empire. I am not. Uh, Laugh. Uh, Walk off. Uh, Oh, molecular K. They say the computer meltdown was from a molecular kick decay thing. The only ones that use that are Romulans. That's a disk drive. Uh, then there's an ad with Picard and Worf, uh, K. the whole crew. Uh, Why does it I already say Picard's like WTF impossible? How could the Romulans mess up a computer? And Geordi says, we're Klingons and Romulans together, uh, but they don't get along. And they say, well, is it Duras or Gowron that's trying to make a new alliance? Uh, and Data says, it could be a fundamental shift in the power. And Picard goes, yeah, let's put a federation in a tough position. And then the Riker says, well, who is it, Duras or Gowron? And Kalar says, well, Gowron, you know, offered me a seat on the council. Hergad says, well, that's not too suspect then. And she goes, they say, okay. And then Worf says, it's Duras, come on, uh, it's the most obvious thing, person I like the least. And Kalar goes, what do you mean you like him the least? And Picard goes, well, we dealt with him, he's not trustworthy. And she says, can you be more specific? And they say, uh, no. Uh, but we got a conspiracy. Holy moly. You know, since Winter Soldier, I haven't seen anything like this. And Picard goes, Worf, you're coming to the next meeting to even, sh- you know, poker style, shake it up. Uh, and he goes, They're not going to be happy. It'll be disruptive. Picard goes, you're right. Darn tootin'. Uh, let's see. Darn tootin'. Bad for Federation. Must be Duras. More specific. uh, Rascal out Yes, it will. Oh, oh, just so, uh, yeah, this is in uh, Kaylor's room. She goes, Can you load up some personal records? Uh, and they go, Yeah, no, uh, you can't read people's personal logs, uh, restricted. She goes, Okay, give me the rest of the uh, reports then during the last visit to the Klingon Empire. My handwriting looks like Pascal or Rascal Resvial Research. it. Uh, she's like, I'll go through it one at a time. Another cool ship zoom. Close. Okay, then they, the meeting is closing, the final phase. They say, okay, like they go one where they come in to the scene at the end of the boring part. They say, okay, the meeting's over. We're going to have, have a recess, then we'll get into the final phase. Uh, Picard, how's it going? Uh, oh, he, Picard goes, How's that investigation going? It was like, uh, you're figuring out the computer thing. And both, uh, Duras and Gowron say, Well, you know, it's it like, uh, something weird. We don't know, uh, but it was something weird. Uh, melted the computer down. And then Worf takes it, he goes, Yeah, well, we actually investigated it. He goes, It was a Romulan, uh, it disk drive to cause a computer problem. And Duras goes, well, I better go back to my ship and check that out. And so Gowron stares down Gow- D- Duras and goes, as will I. I like this Gowron for now. I don't know. I, get, uh, I don't remember the episodes after this I've seen, but I don't remember because I didn't know Gowron as well. Uh, so I guess I don't know him at all. Um... Classic wharf, uh, move through. What does that mean? Classic, oh, wharf goes, oh, we're more thorough. Uh, as will I, seven beacon diplomatic access to Klingon at, uh I don't know what seven beacon means, uh, but that's a uh, Kalar. And she gets on the Klingon net. She found some more cover-up stuff because Duras sealed all these records and changed them. And she goes, "All oh, autobiographic files about Duras. Uh, then we're back at, uh, I guess we're on the Enterprise because uh, Duras and some uh, lackey are in a room. And he goes, uh, dude, I just got an alert. Kalar's looking into the Klingon central net about you. And he distracts the guard, the the uh, uh, lanky, which was too easy. Uh, these you know these Federation people are way too trusting. Uh, and we have a Duras and Kalar meeting. Uh, she he goes, you were looking into me, huh? And she goes, yeah, I know everything at this point, more or less. And he goes, uh, Worf's father's the one that's. Uh, and she she goes, come on. Uh, She goes, what happened? Why did Worf take the blame for you? And he goes, drop it. And she goes, did you sell us out to the um, Romulans or not? Uh, And the scene ends. on An ad break. Do not pursue any further. Clearly, she's going to pursue it because she's super cool. And then we get an ad break. Beverly's getting to the bottom of the disk drive thing. Because they did a dino scan and it was somebody from Duras uh, that installed that disk drive. Uh, then we have Alexand Wharf and Alexander. He says, one time I'll one day I'll sell you show you the holodeck, and they go into Kalar's room, deck eight, room one hundred forty two. And Duras has her going to the big uh, you know, big, big, uh, big you know, big, she, 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 she's with King Robert, visiting King Robert Baratheon. And we have this great hand-holding moment uh, with her and Worf and uh, Alexander. Worf channels his inner line and says, look and remember. Uh, then Worf uh, busts out of the room, uh, goes back to his room, takes off his uh, communicator, and grabs his flatware. And then Riker, Picard, and Dr. Crusher are in the room, I think. Uh, or maybe they're at Medbay. And they say, where in the heck is Worf? Uh, and they say, he's not on the Enterprise. Uh, he's on the Vorn, uh, Duras. Uh, uh, then we cut to Worf on the, uh, on the Vorn. And Worf rolls up on Duras. First, he gets introduced though, by Duras' people. They say, have uh, uh, yeah, Worf's here. And he goes, well, what is he doing here? And he goes, well, he has the right uh, to do, to, uh, he goes, you know, the thing where he tried to, like, everybody tries to cut perfectly, cut, you know, cut a meal for a child, like cut up the kid's meat and stuff so they could eat it. He wants to have a competition with that. And the guy goes Duras goes you got no rights. And he, Worf goes, Kalar was my mate. Uh, and everybody, even the background people, were like, "What?" And it's go time. And uh, clearly, it's a fast one. Worf and like uh, Worf's very good, like at uh, cutting up. Uh, I think this was more of a. Uh, this was some sort of uh, tougher meat too, so it took some cutting. And you gotta get those into really small bites. Uh, and Data and Riker are headed to the ship to shut this down because this is in violation of uh, Starfleet regs. Worf's in total wharf mode. And uh, I think he says, "I'm the only one." Then that is how it shall be. Oh, he says, "Durus says, why you want to compete with me, man? I'm the only one that can clear your name." And he says, "Yeah, I'm the only. Yeah, I'm the only one." Uh, so then actually Worf, uh, is so fast that Duras says, you know what, uh, might as well not be a Klingon anymore. And he says, I'm headed I'm going to go visit Baratheon. I'm going teleport away forever. And without clearing Worf's name. And then, oh, they were like one millisecond too late before Duras left and they could have stopped at Riker and Data. Like literally a millisecond. They like go, Wharf uh. And then Duras went bye bye. Ships out. Duras ships out. Uh Picard. Oh, then we have a this great Picard thinking face. And I also kind of changed my view of uh how many people watch these episodes. I mean Picard is just such a um I don't know, well balanced, uh I mean not perfect, but close to it that I said, man, how many people uh This is really the first time I said, like, is this whole series, like, Picard is like a, like almost like a benevolent being, like an all nearly, I mean, not all powerful, but all caring, like benevolent, loving being. I said, I could go to that, like, and do, like, say, okay, I mean, I guess it would be more of the teachings of Picard, because he's not transcendent, uh, we'd have to cook that up. I don't know if that's what the next show's about, but uh, I don't think so. Uh, maybe like tries to, 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 to subvert that idea. Okay, so he's he has a thinking face. Then he looks up sternly at Worf. He goes, you've been a great, uh, uh, your service has been great. Uh, Worf goes, that was Klingon Law I was following. And Picard goes, Klingon Law. But he goes, "There's uh, yeah, but uh, this is a Starship. Uh, He goes, we got 13 planets of representatives here, and they all have their own belief systems and values, and I respect those, but we serve Starfleet. Uh, And if those two things are in conflict, you got to resign. That's just the rules, man. And he goes, do you want to resign? And Worf won't look up. Worf won't make eye contact with him. Uh, He goes, no, sir. And Picard looks down at first. He's like a little sad, but awful. He goes, okay, well, that's good because I didn't want to lose you. He goes, we're we going to get a reprimand on your permanent record. And he goes on another thing. He goes, now the Duras is gone, why don't you just tell the truth, uh, and air out the lies, uh, and Worf says, well, every member of Klingon high council shared in that, uh, and he goes, well, the day will come when my brother and I convince them to speak the truth, but that today's not that day. And then we get a long, long Picard look. Uh, then we see Alexander. Uh, Worf looks back at his uh, cutlery collection, and uh, he says, you're going to go live with my parents at Starbase 73. They're great. And even Scoots would say, Well boy, is his parents great.'" And Alexander's like, why can't I stay here? He goes, well, you you deserve a home, a family that I cannot provide. And he goes, geez, I miss, miss her too. And uh, Alexander goes, are you my father? And he says, yes, I am your father. And at first they hold hands and then they do this big time hug. It is so lovely. And you know what a—I mean what a journey of an episode—and uh, it comes to a close. Uh, so this is a really classic episode, I think. So right, let's let's look at some stuff that came up in this episode. One was like, how many pro- types of probes are there? I mean, space probes. I mean, and it went over to memoryalpha.fandom.com. Uh, so a probe is an automated spacecraft, uh, you know, used for st- tasks starships can't handle collecting information, uh, maybe going places that need to be small or uh, places that might be, to, like, uh, weather might not be great, deep space exploration or remote recording of uh, telemetry or other things. Uh, Let's see, before, uh, when it was the United Earth Probe Agency, before Starfleet, uh, uh, they would send it out. Uh, Some were uh, modified photon torpedo casings. It does look like uh, what we saw. Uh, They might not want to go on, uh, they probably shouldn't land on a planet. Yeah. Let's see what else. uh, but there was, uh, let's see, there's class one probes, which was featured in uh, uh, five episodes of TNG, a uh, class two probes, which were in TNG and uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, a uh, class three probe, uh, which was in a TNG episode, a uh, class four probe, and a class five probe. So it looks like there's like a class six, seven, eight, and nine, and a class A probe. Uh, so, I don't know which one's the most advanced. Maybe they tell us that. Uh, yeah, other cultures have probes as well. Yeah, I mean, I think a class one, I don't know if that's the best or not. Uh, the pictures are really inconclusive. Yeah, but I just, my first question was, you know, had they mentioned other probes? I, I assume so, but, you know, I've been wrong. I've been wrong many times before. Okay, here's your word if you're a student or you just love words. Uh, It sounds like a simple word, but it's not. Stern, S-T-E-R-N, and it can mean harsh. uh, What is that, an adjective? Uh, Severe in manner or character, uh, showing or expressing displeasure, disapproval, firm or unyielding, uncompromising, or difficult to endure. Stern. Then there's a stern as a noun, a nautical, the rear part of a ship or boat or the rear part of a section. Uh, I think I said, I was just wondering uh, if it was related to uh, one another, but uh, I don't know. Uh, It didn't say that there. Okay, Viridian. I think it's Viridian. Yeah, I think this is where the episode started, maybe. I already forgot. It's a primary, it's a Viridian star system, beta quadrant. uh, It's on a, like, even Spock saw it on a star chart. uh, Is that it? Yeah, that's all I got over it. Uh, Over here, maybe it's more. Oh, no, that's not. So that's just a little bit about that. I may have talked about this movie on the podcast before, uh, it's a 1980 movie by, uh, uh, David Zucker and Jim Abrams, uh, uh, it came out in 1980. So it was before, uh, my time, but I've seen it many times, ta- many, many, many times on TV and it had a lot of celebrities, uh, airplane, uh, with an exclamation point. And it's a satire, I don't know if it was the first movie, uh. Uh, It's a parody of uh, movies that were popular in the late 70s. So it's kind of based on that. Uh, Who wrote those books to, like, hotel and airport? I I forgot. Uh, Oh, I almost had it. Uh, It has surreal humor, slapstick comedy, lots of puns and gags and obscure mentions. Uh, made eighty-three million. This is nineteen eighty on a budget of three point five million, and it was a multiple award winner. Uh, like uh, it's definitely worth checking out. It's definitely aged, just so it, uh, uh, not all that, uh, you know, it's a thing. But as so, it's a uh, Jerry Zucker, uh, Jim Abrams, and David Zucker. Uh, they wrote airplane over there. They, they were still performing as the Kentucky Fried Theater, which they founded in 1971. And Craig, Craig from uh, Script Notes worked with the Zucker's for a while. That's how I know how to pronounce it, because I would have said Zucker, but he said it's a Zucker. Zucker. It was like suker, like sucker. So uh, no. So maybe I am saying it wrong. I think it's suker though, but it's a Z U C K E R because it's not like sucker may because uh, you'd say sucker sucker but i think it's uh, but anyway uh but yeah they were you know they had a comedy troupe they're doing a lot of stuff uh they did commercials uh let's see to obtain material for the comedy routines, sometimes they watch late night television and reviewed the tapes and watched the com- late night commercials uh and they unintentionally recorded the 1957 film Zero Hour, and found it was a perfectly structured classical film. And it became the uh, series. It's like they they said it was a serious version of our film. And so they tried to stay close to the dialogue and plot of that movie because uh, this was a this must have been their first film. Uh, they even thought they would have to negotiate the rights. Oh, no, but then they tried to stay within the allowance of parody. Oh, but they did get the rights for $2,500. Uh, the script also contains spoofs of television commercials, uh, but they removed them. Uh, but they were unable to sell it. They knew John Landis, who encouraged them to uh, write a film based on their sketches, which became the Kentucky Fried movie. And that was the first time they said they'd been on a TV set, uh uh, we learned that if you really want a movie to come out the way you wanted it to, you had to direct it, though. Uh, so, yeah, and then they cast, like, Lloyd Bridges, uh, Robert Stack, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, they had, yeah, it was released. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's a little bit about it. I'll, I'll link to it for a little bit more if you want to read about it. Uh, also, this is that was from Wikipedia. So it's this uh you got to fight for your right to party. Uh, short, sometimes shortened to "Fight for Your Right," is a Beastie Boys. It was a fourth single on the album from 1986, "Licensed to Ill." Uh, Wikipedia says it's one of the best-known songs. I think it once was one of the best-known songs. Uh, uh, it's written by Adam Yowch, uh and Tom cushman who also appears in the video. And uh, it was supposed to be also a parody of. Uh, Songs like Smoking in the Boys' Room and I Want to Rock. But most people that uh, went over their heads, uh, it, it was actually Goof on the Party Lifestyle. Uh, the video uh, is very comedic. Uh, and let's see. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there was a lot of cameos uh, in the video. Uh, Rick Rubin was was even in the video wearing ACDC and Slayer shirts. Let's see, in 2011, Adam wrote uh, a surreal comedic short film based on it to make the uh, do the 25th anniversary. And there's been a lot of remakes. It's won a lot of awards. Uh, that's all that's on there about uh, about it on uh, Wikipedia. It also reminds me of the song uh party for your right to fight from uh, public enemy album it takes a nation of millions to hold us back which probably is like one of the top three or four uh like albums which used to be a thing uh the, like biggest impact on my life and still like one of the greats uh so if you haven't listened to it uh I mean, Party for Your Right to Fight is not the best song on there, but it's it's on there. It's a good one. And I just wanted to read it. It's the second studio album by hip-hop group Public Enemy. It came out in 1988. Uh, they set out to make the hip-hop equivalent of Marvin Gaye's What's Going On with Strong Social Commentary. It was recorded in 87 in New York. Uh, they intended it to, to make music with a faster tempo than the first album for, for performances. It charted for 47 weeks in the Billboard 200. It's certified platinum. It had over a million copies sold. It critically, was successful. And uh, like I said, a lot of people consider it one of the greats of all time. Let's see. So their 87 album, Yo Bum Rush Your Show. Uh, was acclaimed by, but it wasn't. It didn't hit the charts, uh, which was what you had to do back then. Uh, it only sold three hundred thousand copies. Yeah, uh, but it, they toured and they were recording a lot. Uh, and uh, by the time the album even came out, they were already recording Nation of Millions. Uh, and they, they yeah they set out to do this Marvin Gaye social commentary album. And there's even a, a live track on there, I think, uh, from shows. Oh, maybe two live tracks from London and Philly. Uh, let's see. Recording it. Uh, bring the Noise. Don't Believe the Hype. Uh, rebel Without a Pause. Uh, Most of them have been the first tracks competed, completed. Yeah, but they, like, uh, really, uh, like, uh, got, I mean, this is a really deep, uh, even for Wikipedia, so you could really read a lot more about the production, everybody who had a hand in this brilliant album, uh, a lot of the messaging on it, uh, its release, its legacy, which uh, has a huge, huge legacy. It just, like, uh, socially, it, it's amazing, and just sound-wise, uh, it's amazing. Uh, You know, I don't want to start singing, it, but but, but yeah, it's one of my, my, it really changed my my life, that and a couple of other uh, things around that time, or had a great influence on me. Okay, one last thing was like, uh, Now You Know, and I said, isn't Now You Know like NBC's uh, PSA thing? And then I said, oh no, it's G.I. Joe, but then G.I. Joe's knowing is half the battle. So then I Googled the NBC one, but it's The More You Know. Uh, which is the public service announcements broadcast on NBC's channels uh, with educational messages? Uh, uh, they feature, feature personalities from NBC shows and uh, even presidents and uh, newspeople. Started in 1989. Uh, they before that they had one to grow on. Was their PSAs from '83 to '89. And on Telemundo, it's uh, El Poder de, de Saber, the Power of Knowledge. Uh, it was uh, Dr. Rosalind Weinman uh, who developed the campaign and wrote most of the on air PSAs. This is from Wikipedia and ran the campaign for 10 years. Uh, Steve Bernstein did the first uh, Comet, Comet Tail Star logo. Uh, They won a Peabody in 1993. They had a lot of guests over the years. Uh, 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 Amy Poehler, Joan Rivers, Jack McBriar, Steve Harvey, Angelica Houston, Questlove, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, A lot of our past presidents, uh, first ladies. uh, It's also been widely parodied on TV shows. Um, Yeah, a a lot of TV shows in here. And let's see what else CBS is CBS cares. It says in here. So there's just a little bit about it. I don't know. It made me think of it. Uh, So that's it. That's a little bit uh, about uh, what came up in this episode. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see you soon. Here's some thanks and good nights.